Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. We are a nation that believes deeply in the Horatio Alger story of hard work and pulling oneself up from their bootstraps. In political terms, this is translated into an ethos of individualism, which arguably has been corrosive to our body politic. In part, it grew in response to the monarchical culture and inheritance that America was founded in opposition to. It is certainly far more egalitarian to believe that we are the masters of our fate. In economic terms, this idea has taken to extremes. Today, we're going to discuss what it means in terms of learning, education, and personal success. We're going to examine how the classic argument about nature versus nurture has been extrapolated to talent versus perseverance, or in the words of my guest, Angela Duckworth, into grit. Angela Duckworth is a 2013 MacArthur Fellow, a professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She's advised the White House, the World Bank, and NFL teams at Fortune 500 CEOs. Her TED Talk has been viewed over 8 million times, and she's the founder and scientific director of the Character Lab. She has degrees from Harvard, Oxford, and the University of Pennsylvania, and it is my pleasure to welcome her here today to talk about grit, the power and passion of perseverance. Angela Duckworth, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. It's great to have you here. First of all, talk a little bit about your background, your experience teaching, and kind of how this idea evolved in your own experience about the importance of grit and perseverance. I was a classroom teacher. I taught math to middle school kids and high school kids as well. And I was looking at my classroom and and wondering at the beginning of the year, well, who's going to do really well in this class? And I think as a beginning teacher, I thought, well, the kids who are really good at math are going to do well at my at my class because it was so obvious to me, even on day one or two, which students learned things more easily, more fluently than others. And I'll tell you that by the end of the school year, I was surprised. It's not that ability didn't matter at all, but it was just that effort mattered so much more than I had imagined. Some of my students were able to put in a kind of quality and quantity of effort that produced results I wouldn't have predicted when I first started in September. And I think as the years went on and I taught more, I thought to myself more and more, how much of success in anything has to do with your talent and how much is determined by the quality and the quantity of your engagement? And I think that's the question I'm after as a psychologist and in particular, you know, to understand where these things come from. One of the points that you make is that sometimes what you saw in the classroom and also in in the broader scope of the research and the conversations you had with people in, in putting grit together is that there's an inverse proportion between talent and perseverance. In some of my samples, indeed, I found there to be a reverse relationship. So the more talented you were, on average, the less gritty you were likely to be. In other samples, I found no relationship at all. And recently, there was a big, what's called a meta-analysis, takes all the data that anybody's ever gathered and looks at the question of whether grit and IQ are, are related, for example. And that study found no relationship. So I think what we can conclusively say is that being very talented, being very able, having things come easily and quickly to you, it's absolutely no guarantee of your grit. It doesn't mean that you'll be the hardest worker. It doesn't mean that you'll be the one to keep showing up. To what extent does the notion of grit and the notion of perseverance winning out over talent kind of appeal to our egalitarian instincts? 
I think that we love the idea of Horatio Alger and about, you know, effort. We also love the idea of talent, though. I think there's an ambivalence, actually. You know, we love to talk about people as being gifted or being naturals. Sometimes when I give a talk in front of an audience and it goes fairly well, you know, somebody afterwards will say, wow, you're just, you're just such a natural speaker. It's such a gift. And I think to myself, well, I must not be that good because my whole talk was about, you know, kind of disabusing us of that romantic but, you know, incorrect notion. Um, but it is a kind of ambivalence that, that all of us have, including me. I mean, I would also like to be gifted in a way that makes me different from everyone, not by virtue of my effort, but just by being born this way. So I think we at the same time want both things. And, and, and I think that, you know, recognizing that ambivalence, which you know, all of us, even I carry around, I think that's a good start. Because though we may say that we want hardworking people to join our company, so often I think we get um, seduced a little bit by, by the more obvious kind of brilliance that shows itself in an early interview or maybe in somebody's test scores. Part of the problem is that oftentimes, as we do with so many things, we want it to be a zero-sum game between talent and perseverance. Yeah, and I think that's um, that's a very profound insight that we kind of are always asking either-or questions. You know, people say, is it either talent or is it effort that gets you to where you're trying to go? And it, it's absolutely both. It's not either-or. It's both-and. It is both a matter of talent and effort. As somebody who studies effort, of course, I'm interested in, in how we can, you know, get ourselves to do things that we care about enough to keep waking up, thinking about them again, and, and you know, being resilient and, and staying in the game, working harder to get a little better than we were yesterday. I'm absolutely interested in effort. But, you know, when you look at people who are very, very successful at they do, they absolutely had a facility, an aptitude, a talent for it. So talent does matter. I just think it can be, I guess, overweighted in our imagination sometimes. Sometimes it's as if we think it's the only thing that matters. And before I end with that simple equation of like, oh, it's about talent and it's about effort, I'll just add that there is such a thing as luck in life, good luck and bad luck, and there are opportunities that sometimes are for us and sometimes we wish we had them. So the equation really gets a lot more complicated when you fully consider all the things that matter. But I guess for me as a psychologist, I'm interested in effort because it is something that we have so much control over. Right. I mean, one of the things that that you point out in the book is that effort really counts more because it has this dual purpose, that if you combine talent with effort, you develop a certain skill and proficiency at a certain skill but then if you take that skill and add effort to it, that's what really results in success. Yeah, I think that in a way, effort does count twice in the sense that you exactly and so eloquently stated, you think about having a talent for something, you know, all of us can think of what we have talents for, like, oh, you know, I was always pretty good at music or I had a thing for foreign languages. Well, unless you actually exercise that talent, unless you applied effort, of course, you didn't develop that musical skill or that foreign language skill. But maybe you did. Maybe you know how to play violin really well or you know how to speak French. But if you, you know, never actually use that skill, then in a sense it's also latent. It's also fallow. So you need effort to not only develop skill but to use that skill and to actually produce things. And I think that in that specific sense, I, I, I think it's fair to say that talent counts but effort counts twice. 
the overlay to all that we've been talking about, Angela, is the idea of thinking about this not in terms of the moment, not in terms of some kind of a sprint towards success, but really in terms, as you point out, long-term goals, really life goals. You know, I think that for many of us, as we, you know, get older, you know, even thinking about myself when I was in my young 20s and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know, it became increasingly dissatisfying to me as a young woman to be switching course as often as I did, which was a fair bit in my 20s, I'll confess. And there was a kind of a hunger in me to, to do something and to do it well and to become not just a promising beginner as I was every time I switched careers, but actually to be an aficionado, to be an expert. And I kind of think that for many of us, that's where we'll really find the most gratification to develop something where we would say, you know what, if you come back to me in 10 years, 20 years, I'm going to be working on this because I will never get bored of it, and it's so important to me. There is this idea also of instant gratification, which is so much a part of of life today, and how that really runs counter to these fundamental ideas. I think that the culture we live in, it's true. It, it kind of, you know, it's not that human beings didn't always love immediate gratification. And that's why you can see quotes about delaying gratification even in the Bible, right? Or even in ancient Greek writings. So it's not that it's a modern phenomenon to, you know, want our, um, our, our good feelings right now and not to wait for it. But I do think that our modern environment, our social media, our one-click shopping, our, you know, there's a donut on every corner, um, you know, we, it sort of just made it more possible to indulge in this, you know, this kind of human um, desire for having happiness right now with no effort. But I do think that it's at odds with um, the kind of long-term satisfaction uh, that you only get by working at something where the fruits of your labor are, you know, for, for many of these things, you know, not, not immediate. I mean, I go to work every day and I chip away at, you know, a little scientific problem, writing a paragraph, you know, working on a project. And sometimes it takes, you know, six, seven years for it really to pay off. And I think that in a, in a way the the payoff is, is in fact more gratifying than, you know, spending the same time on YouTube watching cat videos, which would have been a pretty reliable way to be entertained for, you know, 35 minutes. To what extent do you think that this debate and that this issue is generational today? You know, we often beat up on the millennials, don't we, right? I mean, I, I, every time I say the word millennial to somebody who's not a millennial, <laughs> um, they just roll their eyes, you know, the eyeballs go right to the back of their head. And I have to admit, I, I do the same. You know, I hire a lot of 20-something-year-olds, and, you know, it's frustrating sometimes because they don't yet know what they want to do, and they, you know, change their mind. They think that they wanted to do something when you hired them, and then, you know, six months later, they realize that it's not for them, and, you know, they, they're not um, accustomed to working late out hours or to occasionally, you know, have to take something home over the weekend. And the question is, are they that way because they're millennials or are they that way because they're simply young adults and that if you asked any young adult, whatever decade they happen to be that young adult, they would have been the same. The preponderance of data that have been collected on millennials versus other generations suggests that mostly young people are young people and they're not as different as we think they are from what we were 
when we were their age. There may be some differences, like millennials are more likely to endorse things like marijuana and, you know, they're a little more skeptical of the government. So I'm not saying there are no differences that are, you know, attributed to being of a generation. But I think we have to keep in mind when that 20-something-year-old is, um, you know, not doing what we want them to do, you know, they have sometimes like half as much life experience as we do, or in some of our cases, you know, a third. And, you know, they're still growing up. I think it's important for us to remember that and to be a little more understanding. Part of it, though, is what their life experience, even up to that point, even into their 20s, what that life experience has been. And for a vast majority of them, it has been certainly more entitled than it has been for certain other generations. Well, I do think, you know, it's an interesting um, uh, pattern that I saw in some of the people that I interviewed who I would consider a paragon of grit, you know, an exemplar of passion and perseverance for what they do. And so many of them remember childhoods where, you know, they picked strawberries or, you know, they they did really hard work, you know, delivering newspapers in the rain and in the snow um, on their bicycle five days a week, no matter what, you know, before they even went to school. And I do think that if you are, for example, a parent of a young person whom you hope to raise to be, among other things, you know, a hardworking, resilient person who is passionate about what they do, um, that you would encourage them or maybe in some ways, you know, structure it for them that they have to work, that they have to, you know, do some things that are hard and productive. And I think that waiting until your kid is, you know, 25 years old for them to have their first boss is actually, for example, like something that I wouldn't do. I mean, I hope my kids who are now 13 and 14, um, you know, start start doing something useful for someone and getting paid for it and having a boss who's not me, who will surely be more effective at, you know, telling them, you know, what they've done right and what they could do better than, than I probably am as a, as a mom. What is the nexus between grit and resilience? Resilience is, I think, one part of being gritty, but not everything. You have to be gritty, and I mean, sorry, you have to be resilient to be gritty because if you're not resilient, then those inevitable setbacks are going to throw you off your path. But it's not sufficient to just be resilient. You know, to be resilient and not have something that you find interesting or purposeful would make you not gritty in my view. You would be resilient without a passion. And for example, if you were resilient but you didn't dedicate yourself to the kind of daily practice that real experts do to get just a little bit better at their craft each day, I think that is also part of being gritty. So, you know, resilience is a very important part of being gritty, but it's not everything. Where does creativity fit into this mix? Because oftentimes the argument is made that with respect to, to discipline and perseverance and all of the things that make up part of what we've been talking about with respect to grit, that it doesn't leave enough room for creativity. I think it's very important to acknowledge that grit is not the same thing as creativity. And if you're really gritty, it's no guarantee that you're going to be creative. And so for so many professions, and some more than others, of course, creativity matters hugely. And some would argue that in the modern economy, creativity matters more and more. 
I think that there's a little bit of overlap because creative achievements also require persistence. And one of the people that I spoke to most about this is uh, Chris Wink. He's one of the co-founders of the Blue Man Group, you know, that performance mm-hmm. artist group. They, like, dress up entirely in blue, like they're covered in blue paint, and they do these crazy, zany things like, you know, blow cereal out of their noses. I mean, it's just this bizarre. I mean, if you ever thought, like, oh, what's creative? That's creative. But the reason I was speaking to him about this topic is he said, you know, so much of that is problem solving and diligence. And, you know, you just like you go in there the next day and the next rehearsal and figuring out how to make that drum work. And so I think that there's some overlap. You cannot be, you know, you cannot be a creatively accomplished person if you don't have some grit for what you're doing. But there's an important part of creativity, which is not the same thing as grit. And that is to be able to think divergently, to put together new ideas or to put together old ideas in new ways that are useful and that's not the same thing as just being a you know gritty person so i think when we want to you know uh, is, you know when we think about who we want to be it's it it must not be that we only want to be gritty for many of us we want to be gritty and creative and then of course for all of us we probably want to be gritty and honest and kind and so many other things that i don't study but as a person i aspire to be myself and as a parent i aspire to encourage in my own children One of the things we haven't touched on, you've used the word several times, and in many ways it is kind of the fuel for all of this, and that is the notion of passion. You know, passion to me is something where, you know, if you look at the people who are really successful, the very word passion may or may not be the right word to describe the kind of um, abiding love they have for what they do. And I I say that because I think there's something about the passion word, the word that that kind of suggests like an intensity that might be short-lived. And it's not really that the people that I've studied are, you know, crazy and, um, you know, stay up all night doing, you know, things without sleep or without eating, um, although they occasionally might do that. It's really the fact that, you know, every day they get up and they're not bored of what they do. They do find it abidingly interesting and, you know, enduringly important. So I think the idea of passion, for me to clarify, is not about fireworks. It's about, you know, staying in love with something for a very long time. That consistency, I think, is much more important than short-lived intensity. And I do believe that it is accessible to us. I mean, if you start to ask the question, hmm, could I find something that I would find consistently, enduringly interesting, that I would feel useful, I would feel like I was helping somebody other than myself, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, the answer to me is yes, why not? Why wouldn't passion, if that's what we mean by passion, be available to every single one of us? And of course, it's important, some kind of passion, some kind of caring is important, thinking about this, as we talked about before, with respect to the long term. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, if you asked me, what do you think about when you wake up on Saturday morning? Well, after I've made breakfast for my kids, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about grit. I'm thinking about, hmm, why was that person at Starbucks who handed me the coffee? What, why did they seem to have, you know, an extra, you know, dedication to what they were doing? Or, or why didn't they? I mean, these are the questions that I'm thinking about all the time. I've been thinking about them for years and years, and I expect to be thinking about them for the rest of my life. And because I'm, I'm, I'm preoccupied by them, because I'm working on them, I mean, I think that's very 
very much part of why I make any traction on them. And and so, you know, for people who ask like, well, you know, how do I become successful at something? You know, they're oftentimes thinking, well, am I talented enough? Will, will, will things come easily to me? Will it come fast to me? You know, that's absolutely part of what will make you successful. But a lot of it is, are you going to be consistently, enduringly fascinated by this? Are you going to be thinking about it on a Saturday morning? Are you willing to work on it for decades? You know, that a lot of success in life comes down to that as well. As arguably a certain degree of talent is, how much is grit and perseverance and the things we've been talking about, how much of it is preordained by genetic predisposition? The nature versus nurture question is is age old, and the answer that modern science has to give to that is both. You know, there really isn't anything a psychologist studies about you, whether it be your grit or your extroversion, whether you're going to vote for the Republicans or the Democrats this election. There really isn't anything that isn't partly influenced by your genes, the DNA you got from mom and dad and had nothing to do with in its election. Of course, there's not much you can do about your DNA over the course of your lifetime. So it's important to remember that for all the things that I mentioned, including grit, there's also a huge role for environment, for experience. Now, I myself tend to think more about what we can do about it from an environmental perspective than to, you know, think about, well, okay, there's part of this that I can't change because of my genes. Um, And I think that's partly because I'm a gritty person, and that's what gritty people do, is they try to think about what they can do something about. It's not that we don't recognize that there are things that you can't do anything about, but since you can't do anything about them, it doesn't seem worthwhile to spend a whole lot of energy dwelling on that. But when you have two kids in a family and you say, wow, one is really gritty and the other isn't, but I, I raised them the same way, well, you know, that is in part because their genes are very much part of who they are. Part of that, and, and you talk a lot about this, is the idea of, of how we learn from experience. What, what experience, both positive and setbacks, teach us and how we're able to grow in that regard. You know, I've learned something from the, you know, Olympic athletes that I studied, the CEOs, the military generals, and that is that they come to a very important lesson in life. It is that failures and successes are all information. They take every day as a lesson to be learned. And the victory is something that they can learn something from, and so is the, you know, the day that they are defeated. You know, well, what happened? You know, was it just luck? Is there something I could have done differently? And I think that idea that more than wondering whether we're a winner or a loser, having the conviction that we're a learner, I think that to me is a very powerful way to live your life. And I'm trying to do that myself. I'm, you know, human, so of course I, you know, get get disappointed by my setbacks and I get a little carried away when things go well. But really I'm trying to take that learning mindset with me everywhere I go. Angela Duckworth, her book is Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Angela, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, it was my great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.